truth, and godliness. You see those connected all throughout this short letter. That's what I want us to focus on tonight. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1, he says this, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and uh, the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Truth always accords with godliness. Truth always promotes godliness. All right? Uh, let's pray. Father, help us tonight as we come to your word and um, as we share some things from it. I pray it be a blessing and encouragement uh, to us, Lord, to not only stand for truth, uh, but godliness and understand that all truth leads to godliness. And so if we're not exercising in the godliness, then very likely we are not exercising the truth. Uh, so, Father, help us, I pray, uh, to see this in this letter, this emphasis. And I pray it be an encouragement to your people tonight. In Jesus' name, and amen. All right, Paul's introduction, he immediately sets really the framework for the letter uh, the theme, really, I think, of this letter in verse 1, he mentions the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth uh, which is after godliness or is according to godliness. Uh, true faith that resides in every believer is revealed in the truth that they believe and the godliness that they manifest. In other words, that's how Faith manifests itself. Faith manifests itself through the belief of truth and a belief and, and, and a life of righteousness and holiness. That's how faith is made known and revealed. And so we see that in the very first verse, the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth uh, which it accords with godliness. Biblical faith is revealed in truth and godliness. Truth and godliness. Those are not separated. One complements the other, and, and the truth always assists godliness. Biblical truth, when believed, will always aid in godliness. It helps us to live a life of godliness. All godliness, true godliness, comes from biblical truth. Sometimes people think they're exercising godliness, and it doesn't come from the Word of God, but it's just tradition. That's not godliness, that's tradition. All true godliness, all true holiness stems from truth. Um, those who say they believe the truth, but yet reject godliness, uh, are, if they believe the truth, they're not exercising the truth, uh, but they're either void of faith or very immature in the faith. Look at what Paul said in regard to the Cretans in chapter 1 there, in verse 10 through 13. I think it's important to see what he says. He says, For there are many insubordinate, I mean rebellious, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of circumcision. I mean, we've got Jews here doing this. Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole households. Teaching things which they ought not. So they're not believing the truth, right? But they're also ungodly men. For the sake of dishonest gain. One of them a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I mean, how would you like to have <laughs> that as your testimony, right? He said, this testimony is true. He said, everything you're hearing about these guys, it's true. He said, therefore, rebuke them sharply. That, what? 
they, these guys he just described, may be sound in the faith. You see that? So they're not sound in the faith. That's why they're acting the way they're acting. And that's why they're believing what they're believing and teaching what they're teaching. It, listen, what we believe, we really believe, if we believe the truth, it leads unto what? It leads unto uh, godliness and, and, uh, and teaching other the truth. But notice also, I, I see this, Paul must, even with this terrible description of these guys, Paul must have been hopeful that some were actually still saved and, but just immature because he said rebuke them that they may be sound in the faith. But he also shows that it's obvious that some of these in this mix just don't know God and that's part of the problem. In verse 15 and 16 he says this, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. In other words, listen, if, you are, don't, if you're not pure in Christ, you don't know Christ, you can't do anything right, basically. You, you, can't without, you can't without the Lord. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So it seems like in this group, Paul's hopeful that rebuking them, that, that some will come to be sound in the faith, because some were obviously misled, they were deceived. But he said some of them, they're just lost. They're just lost. Um, now I'm convinced that, that a brief overview tonight of the book of Titus really should be enough to, to drive home this, this thought in this letter uh, that truth must be according in agreement with godliness. They go together. That's how faith reveals itself. Faith reveals itself by belief of truth an exercise of godliness. We see it from the very beginning when, when Paul talks to Titus about the qualifications of a pastor. I'm going I'm to walk us through these three, these three chapters very quickly. On the qualifications of a pastor, from verses 5 through 9, Paul is giving Titus instructions on those qualifications for, for bishop is there, or pastor or elder, uh, all words used for the same thing many times. But he was giving him instructions because Titus was dealing with some people that, that were causing trouble. And, and, and part of what Paul was saying was that some of these that are causing this trouble, listen, they're not, even, they're not qualified to be in positions of, of, of being an elder or, or being a bishop or pastor. And, and here we see an obvious connection between, when he gives this description, between being sound in faith, the truth of God's Word, and godliness. Uh, Sometimes people look at qualifications of a pastor and they maybe only focus on one side. Well, what does he believe? Well, that's important. But what does he do? How does he live? I've been in the ministry long enough to see some guys that they, they dot their I's and cross their T's doctrinally, but their private life was terrible. And, and so the other side's bad too. I mean, some people can, can appear to be very godly, but listen, they need to believe the truth as well. Um, we, we need both. And he teaches this in verse 6 through 8. We, we see this. He says, uh, speaks of a man, this is, this is his character, blameless, a husband of one wife, uh, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, 
but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. I mean, if you look at the qualifications, they're more about his character. I think there's a reason for that because from the very beginning, if a, if a guy's character doesn't line up, listen, it doesn't matter what else he believes. He's not qualified. Are right, you got that? From the very beginning, if his character doesn't, say, but he believes this and this. Listen, but his character, it doesn't line up. It doesn't matter. Okay? You need, you need both. Um, then he says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict uh, those who contradict. It's so important, especially in leadership uh, from the pastor's perspective, that he has both, that he has godliness and that he's able to teach the truth. And he states why. That he may by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Those who are in leadership cannot be very effective in convincing others of truth when their life shows a pattern of ungodly behavior. And so if he's going to convince people of truth, he's got to be godly. Because, listen, when you start telling people the truth, listen, it's very easy for them to, if your character is way off, to just dismiss what you're saying. And so we shouldn't live in such a way to where people can just dismiss what we're saying because we are just being ungodly. And so if he's going to exhort, he's going to convince, convict others, he needs to have uh, both. Their life should be in accordance with the truth. And if we truly believe the word of truth, then our life will reflect it in the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself truth. Now, if what we say we believe leads us to accept ungodliness, then, we, then what we're believing, we need to really question it, right? <clears throat> the word uh, convince there, or convict, uh, that he's able to do in verse 9 <clears throat> means to persuade or satisfy the mind by evidence. By evidence. In other words, what you, what you say is backed up with evidence by how you walk. It's hard to convince somebody of, of truth whenever you don't walk in accordance to that truth. Now we see here as he's speaking about the qualifications of pastors, but the principle is still effective for everybody. In other words, this is a qualification for the pastor, but the principle is still the same, that if, if you want God to use you to influence others, right, and to convict others, convince others, you yourself need to walk in truth and godliness. That's a qualification for a pastor to set an example for others that they might walk in in the same way. When we say we believe one thing and we walk in another way, it's confusion. <clears throat> I believe we would want to believe the truth at New Testament. We want to believe what God's Word says. And so I, I know that we want to adhere to the Word of God, uh, but our lives need to back up what we say we believe. The pastor may preach the truth, People may come and hear the truth, say they believe the truth, but if our lives or the members of this body are not according to godly behavior, then what we say we, about the truth does not fall with much weight or convincing. And you see this, this theme on out through the letter. So he talks about pastors there in chapter 1, uh, and then in chapter 2, he just really kind of covers a lot of ground, you know, 
and, and talking to different people. In chapter 2, Paul was teaching to Titus what to teach others. And all through the verses, from verse 2 to verse 10, it's easy to see a continual connection between these people that he's to teach that they are to be in accordance to truth and godliness. We see both are emphasized all through here. In, in verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, to the aged men, Titus was to teach them to be temperate. So have self-control. Then he says, and what? Sound in the faith. So there's character, there's truth. There's sound in the faith, okay? In verse 3, the aged women were to be in behavior as becomes godliness, right? And teachers of good things. And, and so you see, what we live and what we teach matters. I mean, it matters how we live to what we teach. The young, men, the young women in verse 4 and 5 were, learn, were to learn to be chaste or discreet, then he says, why? Why does he say why to be chaste and discreet? He says, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You got that? that? That is some serious stuff. So what he's saying is that if we are, if they're not walking in a godly manner, the word of God that they say they believe is blasphemed by their behavior. Remember when... David sinned with Bathsheba and it says that he had caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And that's what happens when those who bear the name of Christ live ungodly. We bring reproach upon the name of Christ. So we see an emphasis all really through chapter 2 that the word of God be not blasphemed. Very, very serious stuff here. So the importance of a godly testimony is really seen all through this short epistle. Now, we already gave reference to what Titus was to teach the young men, uh, but look at verse 6 through 8 as well. He says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of Good works in doctrine, showing integrity. They're both important. The faith of God's elect, verse 1, is according to truth and godliness. It's, it's important to get this principle for, for many reasons. One of the reasons people need to get it when they start looking for a church, <laughs> sometimes they just want to find a good group of people that are just nice and have a good attitude and stuff and have some good things going on, and they don't ask questions about, well, what do we believe here, <laughs> you know? Or they find just some people that, that seems like they believe the truth, but man, they're ungodly. I've seen that. I've seen both of those extremes. We want both. We want truth and godliness. That's the evidence of genuine faith according to God's elect in verse 1. It does both. So as our faith matures... We grow in truth. As our faith matures, we grow in godliness. You know, he talks there, he says in doctrine, verse 7, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, 
sound speech, notice this, sound speech that cannot be condemned. I mean, it's because you're young, you don't have to be dumb with your mouth, you know? I mean, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. I mean, this is a call to young men. I mean, to, to, to be like this, a pattern of good works. I, I mean, show some integrity, show some reverence in your life, some incorruptibility. Just clean up your mouth so that nobody, nobody can say anything evil about you. Now, he wasn't talking to pastors there. Listen, that's a call to all of us. Now, pastors should be that way. But that, that's a call to us. And we, we should expect that and promote that, encourage that, teach that to our young people. Truth and godliness. Now, Titus was to teach the certain... Look, he, he teach, he, you see this all the way through in all of his instruction to people. How to teach people. Verse 9, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not proliferating, but showing all good fidelity. That, that's all about character right there as, as a bondservant. Have some good character. How, how you relate to, to, to those who have authority over you, have some good character. Why? Why? He tells why. That what? That, the, that they may adorn, they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So, so whenever they would behave right to their masters, he said it adorns the doctrine of God. In other words, it complements it. It makes it look good. <laughs> when we act bad, it makes what we believe look bad. The word adorn means to display the beauty or excellence of. In other words, the way we act should adorn the doctrine of our God, of, of the gospel. It should reveal the excellence of the gospel, the excellence of our God. Does our life adorn the teachings of God? Does it complement it? Now, let, let us move on here. Spurgeon said this, he said, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. I believe that. If I say one thing, but I'm living the opposite. George Swinnick said, the course of thy life will speak more for you than the discourse of your lips. Now, we should speak truth, but if we're living, walking something different, it says a different story. It's giving a different message. In chapter 3, we'll move on here just real quickly, verse 1 through 3. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, Right, there's all the outward, I mean, doing good. 
to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves uh, were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. There, there, there is a, uh, there's a strange pattern of thought sometimes that I've seen that seems very judgmental at the slightest hint of something that may be regarded as doctrinally unsound, and we need to be doctrinally sound, but yet very permissive in regard to godly character and holiness. I don't think we should let down on either one. There is a strange covering for sin that covers itself with an emphasis of doctrinal integrity. I've seen it enough where it's like, People stress only that, but yet they believe in ungodliness. We need 100% of both. It's not a balance act of letting down one to lift up the other. It's both of them up here, truth and godliness, doctrinal integrity and godliness. We need to hold both high. I, I used this some time ago, and I thought it was really good. I think it sometimes it reveals our attitude and how we look at issues of morality. What, how do we look at issues of morality? If you think the line is here, what do we do? Well, I think the line is right here. So what do we want to do? How, do we want to get as close to it as we can? And, and so I got this story. It was really good. And I thought really is it, nice. I think you'd understand it. There was once a man who lived at the top of a mountain. He needed to hire someone to take his daughter up and down the mountain each day for school. So he interviewed various candidates, asking them, how close can you come to the edge without going over? The first man said, I can come within 12 inches and not go over the edge. The second claimed, I can come within 6 inches of the edge. The third boasted he could come within an inch. But the fourth said, I don't know, because I'll be hugging the other side. I will stay as far away from the edge as I can. You know who got the job. Folks, I, I mean, you're talking about the safety of your daughter going down the mountain. Listen, there's, there's a whole lot more than that at stake sometimes with how we walk in this life. I don't want to see how close I can come to the edge. I don't want to go with the culture and go with the flow and see how close I can come. I, I want to I be as close over here to Christ as I can be. When you're trying to come over here, you're not focused on Christ. When you're focused on Christ, you, you, you lean more that way. It's about attitude of the heart. Are we a people of truth and godliness that want to strive towards godliness and holiness? Or are we trying to see how close to the edge we can get? And I, and I call upon all of our young people. I mean, look at that example that Paul tells Titus to teach them. God, God expects better of you. We should expect better of you. Truth according to godliness. Don't give your opponent, the adversary, anything to say anything evil. Say, well, I'm, I'm young. Yeah, live up to God's standard. Do it now while you're young. Do it now. Father, I pray for your help that we would 
receive your word tonight. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to be completely sold out. Lord, for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, who gave up his all for us to want to believe all of the truth of your word and to live as much like Jesus as we can, to be a good example unto others who are watching us, who are listening to us and watching us and listening to what we say. Father, help us that we would not say one thing but walk in another way. Help us, Lord, to live lives that honor and glorify you. Help us to walk in truth and godliness and adorn the doctrine of our Savior and to not blaspheme the Word of God by how we live. In Jesus' name, and amen.